Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for the many blessings that you provided us for. I praise you, God, for your love for us. We thank you, God, that you're a God who knows what we need. You know our hearts. You know the struggles that we go through. Father, today we pray for our nation Lord, we pray for our president, we pray for Congress, we pray for the judicial branches as they work together, Lord, and may they have the heart of the early fathers of this country who look to you and your word for the will and what is right to do in this nation. We pray, Lord, that you'll give them wisdom that they don't even realize they can have. We pray, Father God, too, for those who defend our country, both home and abroad. We pray that you'll keep them safe. We pray also, too, for those, our loved ones here, that are struggling through difficulties in their lives right now. We think of Lucille and her health condition. We think of Kay for continued healing. We pray also, too, for Frank Walker, Lord, continue to lift him up. We pray also, too, for Sharon and Everett in coming out of their COVID. I pray also, too, Father God, for Mary. We pray also, too, Lord, um, uh, that you'll be with Joyce in her back and bring healing to it, Lord. We pray also, too, for um, those, um, for my nephew, uh, grand, uh, son, Tommy, as he preached his first sermon last week after having that liver transplant. Just pray for continued healing and be with him today as he ministers again. I want to pray too for Howard, um, Betty's husband. I pray for him as he gets surgery on his brain and head on um, Tuesday. We just lift him up to you. We pray also too, Lord, for uh, Monica. Uh, who had a CAT scan yesterday and uh, some things have developed and I just pray for the healing of her body and restore her to full strength for my friend John who also um, has had uh, no movement on his cancer and we just pray that it will remain dormant and that um, Lord that he can continue to function it's always good to have him at Bible study I want to pray also too Lord, uh, for Jessica, who is battling cancer also. I pray also to Lord for uh, Curtis, Lord. You know the struggles that he has. And for Don, as he gets rehabilitated with his arm. I pray also, too, for our congregation and for the many who have experienced loss of loved ones. Help their hearts, Lord, and the sadnesses that they feel and lift them and give them strength. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus, but it's still lonely. It's still tough. We miss them so much. And I just pray, uh, Lord Jesus, that uh, you will be with them. 
We also pray, Father God, too, for a young man's foot who um, has blistering and can't drive because of it. I pray also, too, um, Father, um, for others that we know that are going through difficulties in their lives. Uh, Lord, just be with them and strengthen them. Be with those who are struggling with marriages and those who are struggling in other areas of life. I just pray for the healing that you can do and that they can look to you for strength and that change can come. And Father, there are those that maybe we didn't write down on a piece of paper. Lord, hear our prayers as we lift them up by name. You know the struggles they're going through. Now, Father, speak to you, speak to us through your word today, Lord. Teach us, Lord, what we need to hear and to see. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In David Wickolan's biography of John Adams, who was the second president of our United States, his wife Abigail wrote some very penetrating words to their 10-year-old son as they were about ready to embark on going to Europe during the Revolutionary War. He became John Quincy Adams, of course, our sixth president, that young boy. But she wrote to him about trials and tribulations and what they do and how they basically form great things. She said, there are times in which genius would wish to live. It is not in the still calm life or in the repose of the Pacific station or a vacation. It's the great characters are formed in the habits of vigorous, difficult, contending, and difficult times. Great necessities call out for great virtues. When a mind is raised and animated and the scenes of engaged of the heart, those qualities come that were dormant during a crisis. And wake into the life and form the character of a great hero or a statesman. She understood what it takes and what crisis can do. The habits of vigorous mind are formed in contending with difficulties. This nation, we've seen it before, of the great leaders that have come through the world, a lot of the difficulties that they faced like Winston Churchill, like Franklin Roosevelt during World War II, and faced them head on, and it developed the character and the great statesmen that they were. And today, Peter is speaking about that today to us. Peter is speaking to a group of people, if you remember, who are going through hard times. They were being challenged on every angle. That first century group was being punished for something they didn't do. And yet they were being persecuted. They were being lit on fire. They were having their lives chopped apart. Their loved ones were being ousted from their homes. They were going to the lion's den. But in all of this, Peter lifts them up. And wants to encourage them of what to do in those times. And Peter, of course, back in that first century, talked to them about they were chosen for these moments by God. And God had a purpose in all of this to develop them. And that they were called by their heavenly Father and chosen for the task. 
And that because of His blood in Christ died for them and saved them and saved their loved ones. And wanted them to be a royal priesthood, bridgers to the gap of God for other people. And He spoke to them not to treat and not to deal with situations like the world treats, but rather live like Christ would. Submitting to a government that's hostile, hostile. Submitting to a boss that's hostile. Submitting to a spouse that's hostile. And loving them through Jesus Christ. And that the priority of God is to develop Jesus Christ's face in us through these trials and through these difficulties. And then this morning, our passage takes another turn. And Peter is talking to us about the church and its leadership And about how we are to be leaders too in the lives that we live. And how we're to deal with it in our own perspective. And so therefore Peter wants them to see how the church is there for them. And how these leaders are there for them. And how the leaders should act in these crises. He begins by their calling. Therefore, connecting all that he said so far in the last four chapters. He said, I exhort you elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Now the word elder comes out of the Old Testament. Presbytoria. And one of the things that happens with the elders or bishop, um, it began way back when Moses was leading the children out of Israel. And people were coming to him. And his father-in-law came to him and said, Moses, you're wearing yourself out. And so Moses, he said, get some men who you know that are mature. And that's the word for elder. It doesn't mean an old man, but it means a man who's mature, who knows life's situation, who's been through a lot, that can help people make decisions and help them grasp what is going on in their lives. And He chose those men to help him through the crises that the children of Israel were going through. God chose Moses. He gave him 40 years of being raised in the wonderful counsel and wisdom of Egypt. And being able to go to Cairo University. And then he threw him out into the wilderness for another 40 years to prepare him for the ministry of taking the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And God does that with us. Sometimes he builds us up and then he breaks us down and then he moves us to areas that then he's prepared us for, for a new ministry. And that's what he does with his elders. He did it with Elijah and he passed the mantle on to Elijah. He did it with David and passed it on to Solomon. And today the word of God speaks to us and says, therefore, I exhort you elders, leaders, as you dealt with the sufferings of Christ, And our partakers of the glory that is to come, they're looking for, that we're looking for God to bring to us. We're to be shepherds, pull people by the side, love them intently. And it's very easy for an elder to get discouraged. I can tell you in my own experience, I graduated with 33 men and two women out of the seminary and that went into the ministry and And 10 years after I left, after I was in the ministry, only 10 were left. They were so discouraged, so disheartened 
because of the disappointments that ministry brought them and how hard ministry is. It's like the pastor who was so discouraged, he finally said, you know, I'm done. He said, I'm going to become a funeral director. And they said, why are you going to become a funeral director? He says, because when I tried to help people change in the ministry, they don't change. A lot of time they continue to do the same old things. Whereas when somebody's dead and you straighten them out, that's it. They stay the way they are. And that happens here. Peter is saying, don't become discouraged. But walk in the ways of the Lord. Lead the flock. Feed the flock. Protect the flock. And that's what a minister's job is to do. You know, in the next couple of years, I don't think I'll be able to do this forever. And we're going to be looking at change and bringing somebody on. And in, probably in another three or four years. And one of the things we need to look about is this person really care about our congregation? Will they lead us in the right direction? Will they feed us with the word of God? Will they protect us as we go through the challenges and the difficulties that we're going to be going through in the next three or four years. I don't know about you, but this past week I was discouraged because I saw a church up in Canada about the mask thing and that they surrounded the church. The authorities would not let the people go into the church and the pastor was arguing. Will that happen in the United States? You know, a lot of people say, oh, that'll never happen in the United States. Believe me, the people in Germany never thought what Hitler did would ever take place there before he did. And today the word of God speaks to us here. And we need to be so careful and that we take our hearts and let God lead us to the path and feed on the word of God. There are so many agendas right now in the church. So much false teaching. We need to have mature Christian adults who want to lead the people of God doing what is right in His sight. Yes, there are many voices out there. We hear them on the TV set. We hear the great one down in Texas say, your best life is now. Peter doesn't say that. Peter says, your best life is going to be in the next life. In fact, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through difficult times. And Peter is trying to prepare the people who are being persecuted to overcome. As a bishop, as a steward of God's blessing. And it's very easy when pastors get turned, their heads turned around. And we need to stand and tell them no. I knew a pastor who was using his congregation for Amway. And they had a display in the lobby for Amway. There's some pastors who like success and might make your life the best. Now, that's not what the Bible says. It makes your life not happy, but holy. We have right now in the theology that's creeping into the church called progressive Christianity. And it's taking the Bible and putting it off to the side and said those folks didn't know as much as we know now. And we know better. And so the way we interpret is the way we want to interpret. That's not the word of God. And we need to be faithful 
We need to make sure that we have a person who will lead us to the truth and keep us in that truth. It's very easy to get lost. You and I don't want to be led falsely, and yet we've seen it happen a time again and again. We're leaders of the church have been not faithful to their calling. And so that shepherd needs to feed. We need to feed our families. We need to make sure they're getting the word of God. We want to make sure that they're being led by somebody who lives the word of God. In the next three years, we will see things happen in our government that are going to go against God's way. Thank the Lord in Kansas. We still have people who fight against that. But there are other states where that's not happening. The influence is not there. And they're being led astray. And so the Bible here speaks to us about having good shepherds. And a shepherd's heart, a heart that really is truly sold out to Christ, he says, Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but volunteeringly, according to the will of God. My brother had a pastor one time, and they had a person who was sick and wound up, went to the hospital, was dying. And one of the elders called the pastor and said, look, so-and-so is dying. Would you go to the hospital? And he said, it's my day off, I can't go. Hello? Oh my gosh, I can't go because it's my day off? This person has been by your side and who you as a shepherd should love them. And no matter if you're off or not, you go because you love them. Not because you're hired to be their pastor. How tragic that was and how it hurt that man's ministry because he was not truly focused on Christ. And he's a good man, but he made a foolish choice. The Bible here speaks to us and said, not out of sordid gain, but out of eagerness to serve the Lord and be willing to do whatever it takes. To using your gifts for the God-given responsibilities to fulfill for that congregation. Not lording over it as those allotted to your charge, but proving to be your examples to the flock. That he needed to be show that servant attitude which he did not show. Jesus showed that, in that, that servant attitude when he took off the apron and got on his feet and washed the feet of the disciples. That he spent time with Nicodemus, spent time with the woman at the well, spent time with his disciples personally, helping them to see what they needed. Here we have it. Not out of sordid gain. I know there are people that go into the ministry because sometimes they like it. Because it's an easy job they look at it as. That you have a lot of time on your hands. Well, if you're not doing ministry, of course. I knew a guy who was a great woodworker who went into the seminary and became a pastor and spent a lot of time woodworking and not much time ministry. And it's tragic because he misused 
his responsibility. I can tell you a friend that I know who two years was in the ministry before he came to know Christ. And we say, how do these things happen? But they do. People slip through the cracks. I know another fellow that was in my seminary class. You know, we, I didn't take Greek when I was in college, and I had to take it in order to go to seminary because we needed Greek, uh, Greek language when we first started out. And so while we're in this class of Greek, learning Greek in the, during the summer, it was 10 weeks of learning a whole year's worth of Greeks in 10 weeks. And <clears throat> here this young fellow was sitting next to another friend of mine who was a, uh, came out of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he led him to Christ. He didn't know Christ. But what had happened with him was he had a philosophy degree and didn't know what he was going to do after, after college. And so he thought, well, I'll just go to seminary. <laughs> and here he's going to go to seminary and become a pastor, even though because he didn't know what he was going to do with himself. And that's when he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You see, that heart needs to be right with God. And that heart needs to be right with the people and truly love them with all the heart. And do oversight over them, watch over them, make sure they're not falling in the cracks and being hurt by the world. That's what needs to take place because judgment begins with a pastor. We see that in the book of Ezekiel. A pastors who are underneath a huge obligation and underneath tremendous scrutiny by God. Malachi has it the same way. That men of God are to be held accountable at a higher standard because of the way they act. And what happens is, is that if they don't fulfill that, they have to answer to the Lord, of course. Three typical failures in, in, in the leadership of a pastor. Sometimes it can be laziness. Not spending time in the word and distracted by so many other things. That he doesn't bring the truth of God's word to the people. And what's going to solve it is not nice thinking. But the truth of God's word undergirding us through those difficult times. Not greed. Not to be in it for the money. Or pride. But because they, try, they truly love God. I heard a story about a minister who didn't study. Oh, he could preach powerful sermons, but it was all waving arms and screaming loud and preaching loudly. And one day an old Indian who knew the Lord was brought into his congregation and said, this guy, he is unbelievable, so much energy. And after the service, they said to the Indian, what do you think? He says... Big wind, lots of thunder, but no rain. And he didn't nurture. He didn't bring the rain that would be nurturing. And I know as a pastor, today I was tempted to skip this passage. Because this is about elders. But we all can learn from what elders need and how we are to live these ways in our lives also. And that's why I preach a book of the Bible. Because I know pastors who have seven sermons. And they use different passages, of course. 
But they have hobby horses that make people feel good, and they just add new, different examples and illustrations that make people laugh. But they don't cover the whole counsel of God. When you preach a book of the Bible, you have to cover everything that the Bible wants you to cover. And sometimes it's hard. Because there's things that it brings up that you just don't want to talk about from the pulpit. But you have to. Because it's in God's word. And it's his truth. And you want your people to be grounded in the depths of the word of God. It's kind of like a shepherd. During the winter, the summer months, it can get pretty hot. And the ground can dry up. And sheep are blind. And they can't see good. And they don't want to go into the wadis. And wadis are these places that have a lot of vegetation that grows because there's water still trickling through them that is bringing green vegetation and it gives them nutrition. And a shepherd will take his sheep down and force them to go down there so that they get the vegetation they want. And the same thing is true with a pastor. When you preach by different books, you are forced to preach the word of God and not skip any of the details. And not preach just your favorite passages. But you have to preach what's in the word. And it's not sordid game. But you're eager to, for people to learn that. And that you want them to really taste and see that the Lord is good. And so that is the, the forcing of the word of God to come full surrounded in, in your life. Rather than just bits and pieces, or happy sayings, but that the pastor is accountable for giving you the full counsel of God. That the motivation is from the heart that wants to please God and give your people the nutrients that they need in everyday life. And it's a way that comes through studying the Word of God and digging out those nuggets that carry us through life and help us through life and help us overcome. You see, that's what it takes, that the Word of God is spent that way and understood that way. I know that I've seen situations in ministry that are hard to take. That you have a connection with people and it's difficult. Every time you go through a difficult time with somebody and some family, that you go home sometimes and on your way home you're crying in your car because you love them. And you know and you have an idea what they're going through and it breaks your heart. And it's so important that that pastor has a heart that loves his people and loves his Savior that can bring them before their Lord and loves them. A man and a woman who's totally grounded in the Lord. You know, I have seen pastors really mess up 
And yet the Bible says to the pastor, like all of us, that pastors are held in high accountability. And they truly need to love God and rest on Him. Because in loving their people, they see that brokenness. They have a heart for the shepherd like Jesus, for the people who they love and are watching go through some difficult times in their lives. And to be able to still love and make it through and to care for them and their needs, it's heart-wrenching. And yet the Bible says to that pastor, and it says to all of us, there comes a day when the chief shepherd will appear and we receive an unfading crown. In those days, they had crowns that they gave for people who went into the Olympics, but they were flowers and they dry up and fade away. But for us, the Bible says that we get this crown that never goes away, that never fades, that never is broken from us, and will be our treasured crown in heaven. And it takes truly following Christ as we go through this. You know, it's amazing to see that faithfulness, to walk in that love and that care. And sometimes that's rooted in deep woundedness. You know, one of the people in my life who I always admired Although when I was a teenager, I never told him. But it was my father. There was no person that I knew that walked with Jesus and truly lived his walk. It wasn't a scholar, it wasn't, I mean, there are wonderful, great men that I've seen in my life. But to know what he came out of and what he went through and how he grew up. He started out in a Christian school but had to leave when he was in eighth grade to take care of his family. His father was an alcoholic. Three o'clock in the morning when the bar let out, he'd go down and bring him home. He'd have to work in order to provide for the family because the check wasn't always there because grandpa lived a pretty stellar life in a bar. And then at the age of 16 and a half, wound up in the European theater in the army. With all these older men, he was helping in the war effort of World War II. And then to watch him and to follow his example 
as I grew older, I, I finally came to the realization what he really was. I didn't always appreciate it when I was a high school and junior high, but I came to appreciate it greatly. I'm so proud. I never thought that I could ever raise up to his standard because of the way he walked and how he loved people, red and yellow and black and white. My mom and dad decided not to leave the inner city church and they worked in the inner city at the church and teaching children how to play sports. <laughs> I remember going as a little boy and cleaning up the glass on the ball field because of broken bottles from those who had been drinking the night before. And cleaning that field off with black and Hispanic kids and how they taught us there's no color barrier but just love. And how he helped them learn how to hit. And he taught them how to pitch. And then he sat them down at the end of the night when it got darker and darker and talked to them about Jesus. And then to watch and to go to him for wisdom. Because you see, like Peter's talking about here as an elder, he had wisdom. It wasn't from his going to school, but it was from the wisdom of hard knocks that God taught him to be faithful to him in the process of life. And I pray that I can do that too. And that the Bible promises us all as we do that, as we put Jesus first, we'll receive this unfading crown of glory. And when we finish this life, to be able to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, how beautiful that will be. And to receive that crown of glory. My prayer is that each one of us can experience that as we go through this life and we trust Jesus, our Savior. No matter what the difficulties we go, we can shine as his example to the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to thank you for being here with us this morning. We want to thank you, God, that because of your Holy Spirit, we can follow you and that we can truly live this kind of life. That we can serve Jesus like you served people. That we can speak to people about you and that we can love people. Love people that are strange and different than us and that, Lord, that we can be your servants. And that on that day when uh, this life is over, we can hear those beautiful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, for these folks who love you.
and want to love you in the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's close by having our benediction and then singing our closing song because he lives. Let's stand together. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all now and forever. Amen.